Welcome back to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Jason Rugg, and joining us, as always, is our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey there, Jason. Good to see you, Christian. Glad to have you back. Good, good to see you, too. So glad to be here. It's uh, It's been a while. We haven't seen each other since May. Yeah. Uh, I've been gallivanting all over U.S. and Europe, and so I'm back in my home studio, as you can see, and very happy to be here with you today. Yeah, glad to have you back. And this is episode 200. We've Woo-hoo! done 200 of these. <laughs> 200. I can't believe it. I was I, I had to do a little bit of research because I wanted to celebrate this moment. Um, it's a, a big achievement, actually, for me, I think, for all of us here, um, to have 200 episodes under our belt. Our first episode was on March 15th, 2019. That was when it aired. That was f- over four years ago, actually. Yeah. Uh, and so hats and, off to you for sticking with me that long. <laughs> yeah. The show has changed a bit since then. I mean, back then we used to, um, record in person and we used to record like four episodes at a time and we would do like 15 minute episodes. They were super short, just real quick in and out. <laughs> and, uh, we, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> no, we don't. Things have changed. In fact, so much has changed. You know, I was looking back at, yes, originally in 2019, we were in a studio together. Uh, they were shorter. We were doing them, you know, we were batching them. Uh, COVID happened and, um, yeah. you know, that changed everything. Uh, but also a movie happened. So we started yeah. this before the movie even came out at all. Even the rough cut came out and I was trying to figure this out because it came out in March, but in March um, I was managing a huge crisis about what we were going to do with the girl who wore freedom because yeah. on February 19th, I will never forget it. Bill sent me like the first, you know, 20 minutes or so of the film and it <laughs> sucked. And I was like, Oh no, this is terrible. And, I had to fly to Tennessee and I thought I'd be there a week trying to figure it out and ended up being there six weeks. And yeah. we were hoping we would just get, you know, a solid beginning and a solid end and maybe 20 minutes in the middle. And by the time we were done, I had rewritten the whole thing and we had two hours of material. Um, actually, it was two and a half hours that we had to cut back uh, before we took it to Normandy um, at the end of May. So uh, I don't know why we thought we should launch a podcast in the middle <laughs> of all of that. Uh, other than I remember saying that the things that were happening were just so unbelievable um, that I did not want to forget them. And yeah. I wanted to find some way to, um, you know, to remember everything that we had been going through to kind of birth this baby. Yeah. So. I, I still remember you, Josh, uh, Sean and I all having a meeting and talking about like what, what you could use the podcast for, how you could launch it, what you should call it. And I remember Sean just like throwing out like, just call it documentary first. Cause it's your first documentary. <laughs> I remember, I remember that exact moment also. And you know, we didn't even think more beyond that. I was like, no. okay, sounds good to me. Yeah, and cool. <laughs> you know, the podcast title was born. So thank you, Sean, for that. Which is um, now like the title of your whole company, it's right? It's now the title <laughs> of my whole company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, the, the podcast has continued on. We do have a, a lot of listeners kind of all over the place. Um, in fact, uh, one 
woman wrote me recently. Uh, she discovered the podcast because we met at a film festival and it's become extremely useful to her. She said she's learned a lot. Oh. She's enjoyed it. Uh, she said she just got to the music cue sheet episode and learned so much. So Gail, wow. I just want to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast and I'm so happy that it can be useful to you. Um, please pass pass the podcast along to other people you think might be interested. And that goes for everybody. Uh, share the podcast with people. We're still trying to grow our audience, but it's nice to know that experienced filmmakers can still find some useful stuff in our podcast. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's the really great thing about just how open you've been for this podcast is <laughs> a lot of people like wouldn't want to admit that they didn't know something. <laughs> Yeah. Whereas this whole podcast is just going, I learned something new. <laughs> and that's yeah. or, so hey, cool. This was a really bad idea. You really shouldn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> this cost us a lot of time and money. Don't do yeah. that. <laughs> you know what I think is fascinating because now recently we've been bringing on other filmmakers um, mm -hmm. to hear their journey, their stories. Every time I talk to a filmmaker, everybody's experience is different. There oh, yeah. are some general, you know, givens, like it is impossible to raise money. Like I've never met a filmmaker that said, oh yeah, I had all the money I needed. It was great. I, you know, <laughs> man, I had more money than I needed. I really should have like, you know, done more. I've never had that experience. Um, in independent filmmaking, you know, that fundraising piece is a given. Um, and, you know, I just think when I talk to them, however, all of their challenges or all of their you know, positive things that happen, they're all different. You cannot write one single rule book for any one person's film. They're going to yeah. be as unique as the films themselves. So that's, that's a rule I definitely, um, you know, have discovered. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, Oh, I'm going to listen to this podcast and you know, I'll just figure out exactly what I need to do and follow this <laughs> set of rules. And, um, this is the wrong podcast for you because I'm here to tell you there are no rules and my experience is not going to be like anyone else's. There may be things you can learn, but your experience is going to be unique to you. Well, well you also definitely had the, the additional complication of like trying to find like volunteers. And <laughs> also we have to fly people across the world. And <laughs> there's just a lot of complicated things there. Um, I, I was going to say, I think I, I don't remember if we ever talked about this, but I think one of the key things about being a filmmaker, um, it, people talk about this all the time, is basically being an improviser. You know, just yeah. going, well, we have this and this. Let's put those together and make this. <laughs> and that's really the the filmmaking process. Uh, every step of the way from pre to post is just going, okay, well, we have this much money. We have these people in this place. Um, so what can we do with that? And how can we make that the best it can be? And then you actually get your footage and you go, oh, we missed this. Well, how do we edit that together? We're missing this shot and everything. It's just, it's improvising, 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 and just, you know, MacGyvering everything. So true. So that's, true. That's what I think is so encouraging about this podcast is over the, the four years, you've really just talked a lot about how you've had to MacGyver everything <laughs> and are open about, you know, taping this to that and, you know, just scrounging anything you can. Well, and I hope that 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 will be, you know, continue to be useful for to people over time. I yeah. I know for sure when I heard Ken Burns say on the masterclass that I watched about how to make a documentary that a filmmaker is really a problem solver. Like yeah. you have to solve a million problems and that is your job. Yeah. Um 
he was right. He was absolutely right. You as a producer or a filmmaker are in the business of solving problems and finding a way when there seemingly is not a way. And oftentimes the story of making the movie is almost as fascinating as the movie itself, if not sometimes more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's why so many people <laughs> love like behind the scenes content yeah. or director's commentary or, you know, stuff like this. I mean, you know, when, when Barry was coming out on HBO, uh, it's one of my favorite shows every week. They did a podcast where they break down what they did that week. Like the, the, you know, Bill Hader would sit down and talk about, and when we were writing it, this is what we were thinking when I was directing it. This is what I was thinking. Realized that didn't work. We had to cut that out and change it. And it's just so fascinating. It's, I'm almost as excited to listen to the behind the scenes as I am to watch the actual episode. Yeah. And you know, it's just the story of making something is just so complex. And yeah, I mean, you think of when we started this podcast, you didn't have a finished movie at all, not even close. Nope. And now nope. you have one finished feature that's seen distribution and gone all over the place. And now you have another short that's yep. finished. Um, and you're working on a series and you're working on another <laughs> <laughs> short. Yeah. And you know, I don't even know how many projects you have at this point. But yeah. in the last four years, it's gone from no completed project to two completed projects and a bunch more in the works. Yeah, that's, it's that's so cool. been a crazy journey. And, you know, it's really interesting. I just got back from four weeks in Europe. And actually, before that, I was in Tennessee uh, recording nine episodes or nine interviews for our next film, Heroes of Carenton. And after I filmed that, I went to Atlanta, took a flight to Normandy and was in Europe until like a day and a half ago. And I have been thinking a lot during this time about where I am right now in comparison to where I was four years ago. And what's interesting is that this next project, the heroes of Carenton is much bigger in a sense than what I've done in the past, or it feels like a much bigger hurdle because, mm. and, and here's why now I know, now I know what is coming? Now I know what the potential problems are. Now I know mm -hmm. how much things are going to cost. Now I know uh, what the problems are with distribution. Like there was something so great about knowing nothing, like <laughs> having absolutely <laughs> no expectations, you know, now there are expectations. I can yeah. make a movie now. I do know somewhat what I'm doing and I know how the process works. And not only that, I am trying to gain that to figure out how I can actually, uh, this money can make move, make this movie can make money as opposed to just being something that, you know, the world sees. Um, yeah. but the barriers now feel so much higher. Um, and I think it has to be just because I, I know what the barriers are. I know how hard <laughs> yeah. they are. Um, yeah, it's just not as easy as it was before. And, and the world has changed. Like oh, yeah. the world has changed. I was thinking about, you know, all the way we were gaming things in the very beginning to raise money, mm -hmm. um, to get people to see the film, uh, the process by which we would find distribution all of that's changed now um, yeah. because that was all pre COVID. And so now we're in this new place of trying to figure out how to build an audience, how to advertise for a film, how to tailor our film so that um, outlets will be interested in purchasing it. I mean, just everything's different 
and the tools yeah. are different. Technology is different. Uh, yeah. I'm just a blown away at how much have, has changed in four years. Yeah. Yeah. AI wasn't even no. a thought on the horizon. When, no. And now it's like, oh, yeah, you know, tomorrow someone's going to release some plugin that can edit your rough cut from your script, uh, you know, without even thinking about it. And then you can just go in and tweak it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 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 It's uh, so, yeah, so much has changed. And, um, and, so much has stayed the same. Yeah. And that is that it is still extremely difficult for independent filmmakers to make a film, to pay for the film, to find a place to put up the film so that people can see it. All of those things were all have always been problems before for independent filmmakers. And they're going to be the same problems going forward for independent filmmakers. And the question is, um, do we have what it takes to see things through the end? Um, I experienced a lot of adversity when I was over in Normandy this time. It was really a rough mm -hmm. trip. And a lot of it was that uh, some unexpected things happened um, where I felt very betrayed. Uh, and then um, I also had a, a foot surgery that went awry. So I've got two broken screws now and a foot that was just repaired. And I was in a lot of pain the whole time. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was a, it was a challenging trip to Normandy and a friend uh, Jake Schroeder of Denver Police Activities League, who ha runs an educational uh, seminar called D-Day Leadership Seminar, where he brings people to D-Day, teaches leadership skills using World War II as the, um, and the soldiers as examples. Uh, so he uh, gave me a book called The Object, uh, The Obstacle is the Way, The Art of Turning Adversity into Advantage, while I was over there. And I have been reading it. And I think it's a fabulous recommendation for any filmmaker uh, because you are going to run into some incredible adversity. And the question is, how are you going to use that to your advantage? And uh, one of the biggest tenets of that is, well, I mean, there's a few of them and one of them talks about um, seeing things with a different perspective. Um, mm. You know, every single thing that you encounter um, when it's a challenge can be turned on its head and you can see the benefit that could come out of it if you're only willing to do that. Um, and I was able to do that in The Girl Who Wore Freedom kind of naturally. I don't know why. I always say the film was a miracle of God. I do feel like there is some <laughs> sort of divine element that was happening at the time. I've been struggling doing that more this time. Mm -hmm. um, I just see a lot of the obstacles and I, I feel a little bit more um, defeated in a way. And I'm not quite sure why, mm -hmm. you know, given the experience that we have with the girl who wore freedom or the success there. So the lesson there um, I think that people can take away, Jason, is that, you may have done something and been successful at something and you may think, okay, great. Now I'm going to charge up this hill. Well, <laughs> those demons that you felt back then of I'm not enough, I'm not going to be able to get this done. I'll never be able to raise this money. This project is too hard. Those are not going to go away. Whether yeah. it's your first film. And I've actually heard more experienced filmmakers say this, you know, whether it's your 10th film, those insecurities, yeah. doubts, and fears that you have, uh, with film number one are still going to be there, I think, at film number 10. They may be lessened, yeah. but, but they're still going to be there. So the question is, are you going to press on? Because I also remember Kim Burns saying, that is the difference between a filmmaker that makes a film and everybody else, is are you going to keep keeping on? And yeah. the answer has got to be yes if you 
want to have a film at the end of the day. Yeah. It's, um, I think the, we've talked about the, the best piece of advice I've ever gotten was finish it. Mm-hmm. Always finish it. Cause if you finish the film, then you're a filmmaker. If you yeah. give up halfway, you're not a filmmaker. <laughs> and, and I think you can get so overwhelmed with, oh, yeah. um, all of the tasks that you just yeah. melt down. I was telling the story to somebody today that when I was a young mom and I had these four boys that were changing clothes 15 times a day, cause they were wet or muddy or lost, you know, um, I would walk into the kitchen the next morning and go into the laundry room and there would be this gigantic mountain of clothes just sitting there staring at me waiting to be done. And I would just turn around and walk right out. Like it was just too much, too much. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Um, and one time I had a friend come over and just talk to me and just say, pick up, pick up a few pieces and throw them in the wash. Just get started. Don't stand there looking at the mountain. Just get started. And yeah. as that person and I were hanging out and we're talking, the laundry was starting to get done. Mm. Um, and I do think that, you know, the kernels of good advice there are just do the next thing, yeah. you know, one thing at a time and take somebody along that you like hanging out with, with you. Uh, Cause they can make the work, they can make the work so much easier. And uh, Jason, that's for sure true with me and this podcast. Uh, you've been a faithful friend and co-host from the beginning. I'm so thankful. Um, you're in a different place from where we first started, right? I mean, yeah. you were four years younger, had less experience. Uh, you yeah. were working, you know, with a team of people basically as their. Yeah, I was, I was basically like doing everything below directing animated TV and editing podcasts. And yeah, I mean, now I'm pursuing being a voice actor, like someone else I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just giving me some encouragement. And some yeah. Help. And you're doing a great uh, job. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean that all, I mean the pandemic really changed that. I mean, our the animation studio just kind of shattered, um, it was, it was probably going to end anyway, but it like, you know, all the funding dried up. So it's just like, that's gone. And yeah, I mean, yeah, but then you started animating your own stuff. I mean, it yeah. gave you an opportunity again. That's the obstacle, right? Yep. The obstacle is funding dried up. Animation studio went away. You're now on your own in your basement, you know, and, <laughs> and make uh, your own. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to make your own. Yeah. 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 So. And yeah. We had a lot of fun with that. And, you know, now we're off, um, Sean and I officially last week, completed draft one of our first feature film um, like script, which was awesome and terrifying because yeah. it's like, <laughs> this is, there are parts of this that are not good. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely been a very interesting journey and, you know, it, careers have ups and downs, creativity has ups and downs. And it's, it's been a lot in the last four years. I mean, I think COVID just really threw everyone for a loop on, everything but creatives it i think it really hit us the hardest because it's like a lot of the times you need a little bit of optimism to be able to create and like you know yeah. i remember you trying to figure out like okay can i shoot a documentary over zoom can i you know because <laughs> i mean i think about it now you know we were talking about how production changed during that time and it's like i watch the news sometimes and they still will go to a zoom interview with somebody and it's yeah. just like that 
never used to happen no, pre-COVID. No. Our, our standards have just been lowered to the point yeah. where it's like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's whatever. You know, I was thinking about, <laughs> about that whole standards thing, and it started with YouTube, right? Because everybody yeah. became accustomed to just watching shot stuff shot crappily, yeah. but it was a story <laughs> and people didn't care. They just enjoyed the story or the content or the moment or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that sort of lowered the bar in terms of what we're willing to watch and enjoy. Um, yeah. But recently I was thinking about that in regards to these little um, reels that we see on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, mm -hmm. uh, because you'll see them. Um, it's a reel for an advertisement or something, and it will be the same woman's computer AI voice. And oh, she's yeah. doing every, you know, every <laughs> like thing. Yeah. And we listen to that. And obviously people are using it because it works. Yeah. So now we don't even need a real voiceover to connect with us anymore. It's just, we're just using the voice to get information across. That's yeah. terrible. It's really weird. TikTok and, and, and reels and all that, like the, I don't know, Christian, when was the last time you just like spent an hour on TikTok or Instagram or anything like that? I, I can't, I can, right? I can do about two minutes. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> spent about an hour scrolling through TikTok the other day and I just okay. felt terrible after like my brain mm -hmm. felt like mush. I mm -hmm. felt super tired. I felt like not necessarily imposter syndrome, but it's just like a stream of disconnected content changing every couple seconds or minutes is just not good for your brain. I don't think. And yeah, I just, I just deleted TikTok off my phone. I was just like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't need this or want this. It's just not, I don't know. It, it's not a good experience. It's, it feels like a, like you're just eating empty calories. It's pretty well, much what it is. What's interesting. I've actually been watching other people consume, um, TikTok and Insta reels. And because I am really curious about, you know, the people that are like eating it up because yeah. it is being eaten up. And, oh, yeah. What I have been watching is that that is when people are falling asleep, when mm -hmm. they're waking up in the morning, when yep. they're eating their cereal, when uh, they're on a bus or a train, uh, when they're, uh, you know, bored somewhere, mm -hmm. they just will watch TikTok. And I did kind of lie. I can get sucked in. Mm -hmm. There are times where I've gotten sucked into some content and before I know it, you know, more time has passed than I would like to admit. Yeah. Um, because it does numb your brain in a weird yeah. sense. It numbs your brain. It can put you to sleep. Uh, and I think people are using it for that. And what's, I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I have a friend who told me that his counselor, it says that, con you know, consuming content like that, looking at Instagram, looking at, you know, TikTok, all that sort of thing. What you're really doing is, Hmm, I've started to feel for a moment. Let's just get rid of that. And you're just not letting your body or your mind or your soul feel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's if I, you know, if I just look at my phone, my little squid, my little rectangle here, it'll keep me happy. And I just don't have to think about how I feel about myself, how I feel about the world, how I feel about whatever. And I'll just consume some mindless content. And so it's become this addiction that people have to not feel anymore. Yeah. And, that, that, and that's, that makes sense. That, and that's what film is, is it's designed to make you feel. Mm -hmm. And so you have the content version of art 
that is not in fact art that doesn't make you feel it might make you laugh for a quick minute or whatever, but it's not going to, you're not going to stop for five minutes and stare at a piece, uh, you know, a TikTok, and go, wow, I feel changed by that. Mm-hmm. But if you walk through the art gallery, the art Institute in Chicago, and you stare at Nighthawks for five minutes, you'll feel different when you walk away. Mm-hmm. And that's, <laughs> that's a weird thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's interesting, you know, here we are in this um, film business where, yeah. If you want to raise an audience or draw attention to your film, the only way for you to advertise is to social media through social media. And you have to figure out how to communicate with that audience and how to get them to care about whatever your product is that you're putting out. So in a sense, you do have to make a deal with the devil that you may not really think is good for people. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't like that, but, but it's true. Um, yeah, it's like you have to keep the two separate parts of your brain of like this is content versus this is art and have the film be art and have the content be the thing that drives people to ideally engage with the art in a meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, that's weird. that's that's I think the tragedy right now of for independent filmmakers is that if you if your film does not get picked up by a Netflix or an Amazon Prime or an Apple TV, um, you know, it's just part of their subscription package. If they're not paying you for that content and you're having to, you know, go the um, TVOD route um, or the AVOD route, um, there is no way for anyone to find out about your film unless it's word of mouth or social media. Um, yeah. Because there's just nowhere else to advertise for it. Um, now, like Joe Amaday has said before, when he's been on here, they will include, you know, your, you know, they will include your film as part of their pitch to be included on the Memorial day weekend sales on Amazon prime or whatever. But there really is no guarantee that that's going to happen or that there is going to be a, you know, any sort of net effect from that. Um, And so that means that we have to figure out, we have to market our own films. Like most distributors these days are not going to advertise for you. You, the filmmaker, are going to have to do your own advertising. And that is going to have to be through your own social media channels or uh, partnering with an influencer or buying, uh, you know, buying ad time. Um, Just the way way it goes. Uh, Which I think they're there's a really interesting bit of film history that happened in um, the movie God's not dead. Have we ever talked about how they marketed that film? No, please go on. So Ash Grayson is a brilliant marketer and they brought him in on the film and he was like, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get people from duck dynasty in it. We're going to get, and he just like went through and got all these relatively famous people who were also Christian to be in the film. Cause he's like, that's who you want to draw. You want to get the people who already have this audience captured. And part of their like contracts was we want to have them post about it on Facebook. We want to have them, you know, so he was casting people in the film that would also help promote it. And then at the end of the film, they also had people text your friends. God's not dead. They, they like put that in the, in the credits, like, Hey, if you see the text, text all your friends and say, God's not dead. And I cannot tell you how many, <laughs> how many texts I got from people who were from youth group or whatever at the time. Cause I was in high school at the time. Uh, I got texts from that of just text somebody. God's not dead. And so that really just became this kind of way of casting things. I mean, nowadays, if you go to cast a film, one of the main things people 
actually pay attention to is like, all right, not so much can they act, not so much are they good at, you know, or are they a good fit for the role? What's their social following like? Is that yeah. the demographic we want for this film? You know, that sort of thing. And so you kind of, you know, how do you do that in a documentary where you're not casting people right. necessarily? So, yeah. you know, what that that's kind of a whole piece of it that's kind of ripped out. You don't really have that that part of you can't cast somebody in your documentary because then it isn't a documentary. <laughs> right. So now I will tell you, hmm. interestingly enough, we did take that into consideration um, in heroes of Caranton. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, we'll see how it works. But um, so one of the things that um, happened for me this time with heroes of Caranton is I was able to, because of the girl who wore freedom, meet um, General J.P. McGee, who was the commanding general of the 101st Airborne Division. Uh, He is right now, actually, but I think he's changing out. I met him in Normandy last year. He was captivated. He saw the film on the plane. He was captivated by the film. Um, And he basically introduced me to the public affairs officer at the 101st Airborne, Danny Matthews. And we started talking about uh, the possibility of interviewing soldiers, currently serving soldiers at the 101st Airborne Division. And we also started talking about how we could partner with the 101st Airborne Division to market the Girl of War Freedom. The uh, the 101st Airborne Division Instagram alone, um, let me, let me look up real quick while I'm here. They have 55,000 followers, right? And so the, wow. you know, what he basically said was, you know, you do stuff that focuses on our history or our people will collaborate with you. And when we have done that, um, it's been remarkable. I mean, you can look at our Instagram page, you know, our, you know, top two videos that we've pinned have gotten, you know, 19,000, 23,000 views because they collaborated with us. And most of those were non-followers. And in the course of that, he also introduced me to some other um, social media influencers that happened to work uh, for the 101st Airborne Division in the Army. And the, you know, influencing stuff is stuff they do on the side. Um, A couple of those people I thought would make great interviews in our film. And I was mindful of the fact that if they are in our film, they do have an audience. Um, now we didn't make them sign contracts saying that they would share that. Um, right. But I, I feel they support what we're doing and they believe in the importance of the stories we're telling. So yeah. I have a reason to believe they will share that once it's time. Um, but, you know, we're trying to learn, we're trying to learn and we're trying to innovate. And I do think the reason that I wanted to interview these currently serving soldiers is I am trying to figure out how to bring the past into the present and to be more interesting to today's, you know, uh, generation, kind of the younger generation, right? Because our distributor told us not not a lot of these outlets are interested in World War II stories. It's just not a big audience. Okay. Right. Well, let's figure out then how are we going to get today's audience interested in the story we have to tell. And right now we've retooled our film and we've decided after these interviews that I did um, about six weeks ago, they were incredibly powerful, Jason. I mean, super powerful. We have, you know, Nine guys at the 101st Airborne Division in leadership positions, they're mirrors of 
the soul, the heroes in 1944 that we want to be talking about. And they are talking about how these soldiers in 1944 were their heroes. And they can talk about understanding these 1944 heroes in the context of their own work. They fought in Iraq, Afghanistan, and now they're on the border of Ukraine and they have been deployed. They have lost friends. They have experienced um, combat and uh, they have walked through very similar experiences as these heroes did in liberating the town of Carenton. And for me, Hearing their stories brought the past into the present, made it feel very relevant for today, and I think humanized the stories, um, you know, from 1944. So wow. we still, you know, Zach and I have been working on rewatching these interviews and trying to figure out how to piece everything together. Yeah. Um, but the fact that the 101st is on the doorstep of Ukraine in Europe for the first time since 1945. Uh, yeah. It's it's a real, real big deal. I mean, we talked to General McGee, and I had him cover Max Taylor, who was the general of the 101st Airborne Division in 1944. And he talked about how his father studied under Max Taylor at West Point and how they called West Point the 101 Ranch because he put all of his buddies from the 101st as instructors there. And so J.P. McGee grew up listening to uh, stories about Max Taylor. And now here he is, the first 101st general in Europe since Max Taylor left. Wow. Like that was a powerful experience for him, right? Incredibly. Um, So, yeah. So it was just... I think it's going to be, there's just beautiful synergy there between the past and the present. And um, listening to these guys um, be very vulnerable and open about the cost of combat and um, how it changes them and how the heroes that walk before them inspire them and keep them going. Um, I think it's going to feel very relevant for today. So I do feel like we've learned a lot of lessons from the girl who wore freedom. I hope that we are making some changes in order to adjust to this new um, landscape of entertainment. Um, And I do hope that what we can keep uh, are the powerful impacts that the film will have, just like the girl who wore freedom has had and continues to have on people's lives, because that's really why we do this. It's why I do this anyway, is to really uh, change people, you know? Yeah. I, I think your heart really comes through um, in just everything you do. I mean, <laughs> the girl who wore freedom started out with, let me tell you this story about how my life was completely changed by going over to France once yeah, and bringing people along for that journey and changing their hearts. And then, you know, that this podcast is pretty much <laughs> that same sort of thing. It's just like, here's how that experience of making that film has changed me. And let me share yeah. that. And that's, cool and vulnerable and not something that all that many people are willing to do. And yeah, I, th- I think I'm so excited to see what, uh, what comes next for you, for this podcast, for all your projects. And um, yeah, I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about in this show? I feel like we've covered a lot of the things we'd kind of talked about that yeah. we wanted to talk about. I appreciate that, Jason. It's very encouraging. I just want to tell anyone who's listening Um, I don't know where you are in your filmmaking journey, 
But if you're listening to this, you are trying to learn something or you, you need some sort of, of word of encouragement. So I'm going to try to give you that right now. Um, it's exactly what I said in the beginning of this podcast. Do not quit. Whatever you are facing right now, whether it's lack of funds, whether it's lack of access, whether it's people quitting, whether it's um, people treating you badly on your crew or your team, um, whether it's, you know, messed up footage, uh, bad sound, whatever it is that you are facing, it can be overcome. And trying to solve that problem, go around that obstacle or dig underneath it is going to make you a better filmmaker. And once you get to the other side, uh, you will see how you've grown. You will feel proud of yourself um, and you'll want to do it again. Uh, so just don't give up. Don't give up. That's my word of advice. Well, awesome. Um, I guess... Do you want to wrap up? Is there anything else you want to talk about in episode 200? The big yeah. 200? Well, you know, one thing we added over the course of time is our little segment, DocuView Deja Vu. And so now it is time for DocuView Deja Vu. Jason, I didn't even ask you if you wanted to bring something to this episode because uh, you're not a documentary film lover, ironically. I, I watched one. Just a couple <gasps> weeks ago. <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, look at that. How about that? What did you watch? Still a Michael J. Fox film. Which is Really? I was curious about that. It was sad, but really, really fascinating. Really? Yeah. My my whole life I think I feel like Michael J. Fox has had Parkinson's. Like I don't remember it being announced. I don't remember any, anything like that. And I did not realize that he kept his diagnosis hidden for like a decade. <laughs> wow. And um, it was a fascinating journey to watch. They, they licensed a ton of footage from other, um, which by the way, the documentary is about Michael J. Fox's journey into his, his career and then diagnosis with Parkinson's and how he dealt with it. Um, and so he hid his, diagnosis and still acted and he was like yeah so my left hand would be tremoring so what i did is i always had it like buried in a pocket or i was putting on my watch or i was straightening my tie or whatever and they showed footage from movies and shows that he was doing at that time where he was masking his symptoms and the, the only reason he ever announced it was because he couldn't mask it anymore it got to the point where he was like all right this is you know people are gonna figure it out so here you go and he announced it and yeah wow. it's really sad Really well done, really interesting, and just so heartbreaking to hear. Because yeah. he really, you know, went through such an emotional journey from realizing he had it to the slow onset of watching it and watching it come in. So, yeah, highly recommend it. It's on Apple Plus if you are a big fan of Back to the Future or anything Michael J. Fox. It's it's a good one. It's It's not exactly heartwarming, but it's also, there's hope in it. There's hope. That's good. I yeah. love hope. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, that's much better than the one I watched. Uh -oh. So <laughs> I don't necessarily know if I'm going to recommend this one or not. I think people are going to have to decide for themselves. I did watch it on the plane and I, I don't know. I was curious. I thought I'm not going to like this. Anyway, I kept watching it. Why? I don't know. But uh, it is called, <laughs> it is called the subtle art of not giving a, 
F U C K. Okay. Except um, there is a little asterisk for the U. Um, ah. And this is by um, Nathan Price is the director. The writer is Tom Blackwell uh, and Matthew Metcalf. This was originally a book that yeah, I was going to say. I thought it was yeah, a book. I guess they decided to turn it into a movie. But as a movie, basically, it's just this guy telling his story about how he you know, was a jerk and he got hurt and he hurt a lot of other people. And so what he learned along the way is just not to give an, you know, <laughs> not to give care about, oh. um, about, about anything. And he basically sits at a table and he tells his life story oh. uh, and they show found footage of just, you know, all sorts of different stuff. Hmm. And, you know, he talks about how it's not a help self help book and self help books aren't useful and really the whole thing is all about you know self help stuff and huh. it's really based on his experience like it's not any scientific anything it's just basically his lessons and what's funny is now and ironic that I'm saying that that basically is what this podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an expert either. And here I am telling you what not to do. Um, <laughs> but it's also not a documentary. So, I mean, oh. uh, interestingly enough, some of the concepts went along very well with the um, obstacle is the way book right by Ryan holiday. Mm. Uh, so, but I just think the obstacle is the way by Ryan holiday was a much more useful book. Um, mm. And was probably a better use of my time than that movie. Anyway, hmm. check it out. See what you think. Uh, it could be just exactly what you need uh, to not care what other people think and to try to, you know, get shit done. So, <laughs> so did you like it or did you not like it? I can't really tell. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it, it's you can only rent or buy it uh, right. for five eighty nine um, on Prime Video. Otherwise, you can watch it. I was flying on United, so I know it's on United. Um, I didn't I realize. Probably it was such yeah. a new documentary because I was looking at it. It was like, it came out this year. Yeah. Which, it came out yeah. this year. So I probably wouldn't spend the five ninety nine. I would mm. probably uh, say yes. If you're on the plane, check it out because you don't lose anything. If you don't finish watching, if you don't like it, um, <laughs> I will say I did watch a man called Otto on the plane as well oh. on my ride home. And it was a much better use of my time. Uh, it oh, was okay. a phenomenal movie that was, not necessarily what I expected, super moving mm. and um, very thought provoking. So I've heard mm. very mixed things about that movie. Have it's you either, really? Either you love it or you absolutely hate it. And <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to hear that you like it. Yeah, That's, I was in the love category. <laughs> wondering if I should check it out. All right. Well, everybody, we, uh, we're going to wrap it up. We do have um, some new filmmakers coming in to talk about their films and their challenges. Uh, so keep listening to Documentary First. Uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to keep working on uh, our outline. And now we've got to come up with a new synopsis and a new log line. So we're going to be working on that stuff with uh, for Heroes of Canton, as well as trying to raise money to, to finish the film. So that's what's going to be happening here at Documentary First. I'm so excited to, to come along on this journey. Well, all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. 
The Documentary First podcast is a production of Documentary First Productions. Help us create more educational and inspiring filmmaking content and share more stories of service by supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash documentary first. Also, be sure to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can discover our awesome entertainment industry content as well as our moving historical stories and possibly learn some new things along the way. Bye, everybody.